rotten apple. It hits my shoulder and splatters. Surprisingly hard they are, apples, when turned into missiles. There is a dull pain and the sudden clawing smell of decay. Someone else spits and the disgusting gob lands on my cheek. I wipe it away with the palm of my hand and pretend not to care. These people were once my neighbours, servants and friends, my family. But now, instead of warm greetings, I hear only their insults, their whispered accusations. Papist! Whore! Witch! Lunatic! I'm none of those things, am I? How could a passion for small, bright-winged creatures have led to this? Just as it led me to James Pettiver, the dearest friend any person could hope to have. But it was another man who set passion burning within me more fiercely than all the fires that flame across England this night, who consumed me until I am nothing but a husk blowing on the wind. It is Richard Glanville, beautiful as a girl, with his black curls and blue eyes, who brought me light in the darkness and warmth in the cold in a way that no winter bonfire ever can. In my memory, His caress is like the brush of a butterfly's wing upon my skin, upon my breasts and the secret places beneath my shift. But all such memories have turned to dust in the glare of what I have discovered. What have you done, Richard? What have you done? Is it the flames of hellfire that you conjured? My own Judas, did you betray me with a kiss? Why? I began keeping a journal to record my work, though I don't presume it amounts to much, is of any great significance to the world of natural philosophy. James told me it was the best way to record my observations and to learn. I'm glad now that I've done it, for reasons I'd never have considered. The time is coming when my voice may be silenced for good. God in heaven, how has it come to this? It is well known that lust brings madness and desperation and ruin, but upon my oath I never meant any harm. All I ever wanted was to be happy, to love and be loved, and for my life to count for something. That is not madness, is it? Part 1 Winter, 1662. Thirty-three years earlier. I was woken in darkness by the joyful pealing of church bells. The church stood not a hundred yards from my chamber window, just across the Barton Wall, so the room was filled with the merry and insistent clamour. My head was filled with it, and my heart. It was the loveliest sound. I stuck out my hand to part the heavy, cruel drapes that were drawn around the great bedframe to keep out the icy winter draughts, but it was bright, silvery moonlight that shone through the chink in the curtains at the window. Why ever were the bells ringing with such jubilation in the middle of the night? Then I remembered. It was Christmas morning. The bells were calling everyone to the pre-dawn Christmas service, everyone except my father and me. Christmas was to be celebrated across the whole of England again this year, in practically every household, except for a few of the staunchest Puritan ones, such as ours, where it was still forbidden, as it had been under Oliver Cromwell. 
I dropped back against the pillows, fighting tears. I was nine years old, not a baby anymore. I was too old to cry just because I could not have what I wanted. I knew that in any case crying was a waste of time, would make no difference at all. With a little sigh, I pulled the blankets up to my chin, wriggled down beneath them, seeking non-existent warmth, and stared up at the dark outline of the bed canopy. I should be counting my blessings rather than feeling sorry for myself. I was very privileged, after all. I lived in the manor house of Tickenham Court, with its medieval solar wing and dairy, its ancient cider orchards and teeming fish ponds. My father owned all the land for miles around, over a thousand acres of firs and heath and fen meadow, or moors, as they were called in Tickenham. I was far more fortunate than the village children, wasn't I? The children who at this very moment were clutching...